Now, you don't hear too much good news these days, maybe here and there, a little spot of it here and there. If you, in the world's eyes, if you, the, the media, they believe that no news is good news. If it ain't bad news, then they don't really care too much to report about it. Uh, sometimes at the end of the news, you know, they have a little human interest story or something nice, but most of the time what you hear on the news, this world takes into consideration being news is something bad. Civil unrest or a fire somewhere or, you know, sadly some, a police officer getting shot or something, the economy's going bad or gas prices going up or something, you know, they, they seem to dwell on bad news. Sometimes I think people dwell on bad news a little bit too much. Uh, I mentioned Wednesday night, you know, somebody's barn can burn down and everybody else can come over and help them rebuild and you forget about it in a few weeks, but something bad can happen and everybody holds on to it from now on, it seems. People, for some reason or another, just love bad news. But she t asked me to talk about good news. As Christians, we know who the good news is, Jesus Christ, but, uh, and that was prophesied of all the way back in the book of Genesis and very familiar scriptures here, nothing, you know, you probably have ever heard of any of these, but you get into Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between thee, and he's talking to the serpent and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shall bruise his heel. Of course, that is talking about the crucifixion of Christ. Yes, his heel was bruised, but he crushed the head of Satan by doing so, and of course, his seed is Antichrist, and he's going to be defeated in the end. We know that. And the times that we're living in, we're living in the time of uh, the spirit of Antichrist. That's already in the world. It was in Christ's time, and even more so now, uh, as we go along, uh, you take a look at how the world is. It's getting, set, it's getting set up for it. We occasionally hear a little bit better news, something that we may have a break in something now and then. But you wouldn't have thought 50 years ago you'd ever drive through Bedford County and see a billboard telling people not to go to church or asking people not, but you've got it now. See, what is that spirit of Antichrist that's already in the world? Uh, to talk about good news, you have to take about what is the end thing that's going to happen for us and, and, it, and uh, that Christ came to do. I like to take a look at Revelation chapter 20 and some verses in that chapter. And we'll start off with verses 1 through 4. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, the old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Well, that sounds like pretty good news to me. Uh, just tying him up. I hope they get a short enough chain and don't give him any room to jump around with because he don't need any. But uh, he's going to be chained up there for a thousand years and cast him into a bottomless pit, shut him up, and set his seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled and after that he must be loosed a little season so he's going to be all tied up there for a thousand years he won't be able to get out of that bottom of this pit for a good while during the millennium period can you imagine living in this world under the government of Jesus Christ you won't even have to worry about the phone ringing during election time trying to get you to vote for me for everything from president down to dog catcher. He won't, he won't have to worry about it anymore 
Christ will be in control, will rule and reign with him. You won't have to worry about all of these things that are going on, and you won't have to worry about a billboard on 460 saying some of the things that it, it does now. Amen. Wonderful, wonderful times that will come. Also look in that same chapter, starting with verse 6. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. That's what we want to be a part of, is that first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. You know, I roll around in my mind sometimes, thousand years he's going to be tied up why are you going to let, let let him go again you know but i think it is just to show us what the world would do because there's going to be some that even after all that they're going to follow him sadly enough and they went up on the breath of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city and fire came down from god out of heaven and devoured them and the devil that deceived him, this is a part that I like, was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, and the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. See, that beast and false prophet, those two guys, which make up really the false prophet, both of them together, they've been in there burning for a thousand years. You say, how could that be? They've got a body that won't burn up, but they can feel the pain. So the devil's going to get his due. He's going to be dropped in there with them. Everything that I've read in Revelation tells me that this Antichrist, he's, uh, he's kind of a, he likes to talk. He likes to run his mouth a whole lot. So I can just imagine when this angel grabs hold of him, the whole time while he's getting ready to drop him over, he's going, he's like yapping the whole time. And then the devil's going to drop him in there with a big splash, and that's going to be it. And we can praise the Lord and, and worship him and rejoice forevermore. But the, we're going to talk about the first resurrection. Now, remember this second resurrection, you don't want to be a part of it. But the first resurrection is the one you want to be a part of. And we're getting into something, uh, two phases, or excuse me, three phases into uh, the first resurrection. And first of all is the first fruits. And well, what is first fruits? Well, this goes all, back, all the way back to the Jewish feast, first of all. And each one of these feasts in Leviticus chapter 23 are a picture of Christ. So they're pointing to him the whole way through. And, and when you study and read out the first fruits, these offerings are giving in the spring barley harvest. The reshit, people offered the first ripe sheaf, first fruits of barley to the Lord as an act of dedicating the harvest to him. On Passover, a marked sheaf of grain was bundled and left standing in the field. On the next day, the first day of unleavened bread, the sheaf was cut and prepared for an offering on the third day. On the third day of Rashid, the priest waved the sheaf before the Lord, counting the days. Omer then begins and continues until the day after the seventh Sabbath, the 50th day, which is called Shavuot, or in Greek we call it Pentecost, and that would be the next feast on the calendar. So, okay, what does that have to do with Jesus Christ? Well, we're going to see that. Out of my own commentary, personally, now those of you who grow gardens and you have fruit trees, those first fruits that come off every year, they're always the best, aren't they? You know, you get on later on in the year, they start getting a little smaller, and but that first fruit is just something special about the first fruit. 
Now, Jesus, first fruits, and this is always a picture of Jesus' resurrection, that, that, uh, that time. Jesus rose on the third day of Passover season, the 16th of Nisan, which would be March or April on our calendar. The day of first fruits, that event gave new many to this agricultural holiday. The Apostle Paul, a Jewish believer and rabbi, wrote, and we take a look at that in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 23. So let's take a look at that here real quick. I'm getting used to this newfangled thing. I don't know. I have a tendency to hit the wrong buttons and wind up making a mess. But, but now is Christ risen from the dead and became the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all sh shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. Jesus' resurrection is the promise of the resurrection of believers. Let's take a look at St. John chapter 5. John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good, and that's a key factor there, unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the re resurrection of damnation. I can of my own self do nothing as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which have sent me. Quite a promise. You want to know what good, good news is? If you serve God, you live forever. Amen. Eternity. And we can't imagine that in their minds. And how uh, these atheist people, I don't understand, but they seem to think that this life is all they got. That's sad. That's sad. You know, to think that that's all you've got to look forward to? My goodness. But we know according to the Bible, you want to know what good news is? Pick your Bible up. I could go on and on and on about what good news is because it's from one part of the Bible, one scripture to the very end of it. It's all good news. But not just what I'm mentioning tonight because I'm doing mine on a very minuscule level. But although most believers have not heard of Rashid, they celebrated as Resurrection Day. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 6 and 14. And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his own power. That same resurrection power that lifted up Jesus will lift us up also. And I believe in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Uh, one thing that I always like to look at in the scripture, and it's mentioned two times, in, in Isaiah 61. It's Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. And this is also, you, if you read in the book of Luke, Jesus will read this in the temple after he has came out of the uh, wilderness from temptation. Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2 says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath appointed, anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. 
He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. And that part of the day of vengeance of our God, Jesus leaves out in Luke chapter 4. Why? Because it's not time yet. That will take place, of course, uh, during tribulation. But those are quite a bit of promises to us. That's good news. He's going to bind up the brokenhearted. How many of you have ever been brokenhearted about something or a number of things? Folks, as long as we're in this world, we're going to face these things. And we may as well face the facts. We are Christians. We're not going to escape them either. We will have to go through a lot of hardship, heartaches, troubles. But every one of those things, if we hold on to Jesus Christ, they will refine us. And I want him to refine me, to get me to the place where I need to be with him. Every time he does those things, because sometimes we lose focus. We lose focus when we go through tough times, what he's trying to do. We wonder, why me? Why am I going through this? I don't understand. Lord, I'm in trying to serve you. I, I, but when these hard times come, he knows that he can refine us and get us more like him. More like him. Let's take a look at Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. And some of these, like I said, you probably know them off the top of your head very quickly. But in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. So he's telling us here to hold on, hold fast to our profession. For we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So anything and everything that we were tempted with, he was tempted with, much more so. And Brother Charlie was talking about some of these other religions here last year. Those people, those folks, they don't have a God that they can approach his throne with. We no longer have to have a priest to go in to the holiest of holies once a year for us. We can go ourselves, and Jesus Christ leads us in. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be the, made the righteousness of God in him. Okay, our Lord and Savior, he lived a perfect life. He fulfilled the law. In him was no sin. We, well, we fail. But he's the victor. And in him, because he knew no sin, he has taken on sin for us, that we might be made his righteousness. Something that I, and amazingly enough, Brother Murphy touched on this this morning. This has been rolling around in my head for several days. And I've always believed that when you hear something preached or taught, and it's been going wrong in your mind, that there's something there either for you or for somebody. But I want to take a little bit of look at Jacob here. And you'll find that in Genesis chapter 32. And verses 24 through 30. Now, Jacob's name was Deceiver. Now, he was pretty tricky. He was a pretty slick guy. 
But Jesus was, I mean, Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And he saw that he prevailed not against him. In other words, he was losing. Then this man, and so many believe that this man, of course, was Jesus, touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint, and he wrestled with him. And it has been said that Jacob from that day forward had a limp. And his joint, his uh, thigh was out of joint. The Jews to this day will not eat the part of the sinew of the shank because of that. Because he wrestled with him and he said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I am not let thee go. So Jacob's already lost. He's wounded, but he won't let go. And he said, I will not let go except thou bless me. Now, in ancient times, it was a custom that the winner give a gift to the loser. It showed strength when they did that. It's hard for us to imagine losers having a trophy case. It's usually in our day and time, and it's always we look towards the winners. You know, we think the winners, you have to be a winner. Key concept of this is if you want to be a winner in Christ, you've got to know how to lose. And until we know how to lose in him, but yet at the same time, hold on and not let go. And that is the key. We are going to have to hold on to him and not let go and know how to lose and know how to surrender. If we also take a look and say, I haven't finished my verses here. And he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. So Jacob means deceiver. He said, he's going to give him a new name. He said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel for as a prince thou hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Sounds to me like he had a meeting with Jesus Christ there. And last of all, I've got some scriptures in Revelation Folks, we know that Jesus Christ has won the victory for us. Why? Because the last book of the Bible, the last chapters tell us that he won. Let's see, Revelations chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. It's hard for us to imagine this earth as we know it now, and the sea and everything that we, that we know it, it's going to all pass away one day. You mean my little house over there on 1796 Crab Orchard Road is not going to be there? No, afraid not. It's not going to be there. You mean my sofa's not going to be there? No, but you know what? They can have it. You know, it's going to be destroyed, but there's something else that's coming that's better if I hold on to him. And this is our hope, our blessed assurance. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he dwelt with them, and they shall be in his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. 
and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. How many of us in here have pain sometimes? I have arthritis in my knee and in my ankle, and I have to take medicines for it, and I still, it still hurts. I woke up one day here a few years ago, and all of a sudden I realized I wasn't a kid no more, and it felt like somebody ran over me with a truck. And I felt like that pretty much ever since. But I don't have to worry about it then. We're going to be given a new body. Amen. One that doesn't hurt no more. One that's not crippled no more. One doesn't get sick or diseased anymore. Why? Because we would have to be incorruptible, and we would be with Jesus. And he sat upon the throne, and behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is the thirst for the fountain of the water of life freely. So if you go to the next chapter in that, and that would be chapter 22, and you look, take a look at verses 1 through 5 in that. And like I said, I, we could go through all of the Bible and everything, and it would be good news. Amen. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, crisp crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of Lamb, out of the Lamb. You could, any stream that you could imagine in this world, no matter how pure, how crystal, how clear it is, is not going to be any comparison to this. So it's going to be proceeding out of the throne of God and the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, there was a tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits. And by the way, these manner of fruits are going to be for our eating. And yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And there shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there. They need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and there shall reign forever and ever. You want to talk about good news? You can't find anything any better than that. Not at all. We can look and look and look. We look on the news for good news. We hear a little thing every now and then. But there's nothing compared to what is in store for us if you remain faithful to him. He's already won the victory. We just got to hold on to him so that we can receive of it. So I think I took my two or three minutes up, so I'll sit down now. Thank you.